Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 141. Sit next to a fire, you'll get more toasty. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, writer, director, uh, sketch comedy maven, John Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And to my right, as always, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Now, uh, for for those who are unaware, John Richards is sitting in Ross's hot seat. Ross, still looking after a baby. I I think that baby's getting ready to to go to kindergarten soon. It's got to (laughs) be. How long has Ross been minding this baby, then? Oh, about three months. Big baby. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, a lot of cleaning. A lot of cleaning to do with this baby. It seems like. So, thank you very much for, for joining us, John. Would you like to tell tell the people a little bit about yourself? Oh, uh, well, we were saying before, oddly enough, I've become an expert in uh, either... If, if you need someone to talk about gay geek culture, I seem to be the, the go-to guy. So, I just go on to radio shows now and, and interviews and talk about Doctor Who at length, which I'm getting a little bit tired of. Um, and the other one, too, is is, is the uh, the whole loser kind of um, pilot uh, aspect. I'm also quite good at that. So, yeah, I'm doing so, well. It doing is very so, well. It is great that you've come in tonight to, <laughs> to talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> and, uh, and, and pilots that didn't go pilots anywhere, that, yeah. And, I, had, uh, I had no idea, but it's also too late to change the show now. So, we are, we're going to talk to John about uh, pilots that, uh, that didn't go anywhere and, and the whole piloting process and uh, maybe some war stories uh, you, you could you could impart some of those on us as well. We're also going to talk about Doctor Who and why you're not very happy with it, John. Yeah. And uh, and you know what? We're we're really going to nerd it up in this episode of Box Cutters because it, it's going to be all sorts of TV geekdom. I think we we were talking about Battlestar Galactica off air just uh, just before starting the show. As you do. <laughs> and and I went no, no no let's save it let's save it so no doubt we'll we'll venture into Battlestar Galactica territory at some stage and uh, and do a whole lot of uh, things like that. There's also uh, an I Don't Buy It, which again, John, you have provided. I've done nothing for this show. <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing but brought the guy who has the material. Which is quite hilarious since um, I'm actually working on the Melbourne International Film Festival at the moment. I haven't watched television for a fortnight. So I was the perfect person to bring in today shh, to talk shh, about TV. Shh, keep that secret. Oh, sorry. They don't know. <laughs> they, you just just pretend. I've watched That's what YouTube. Brett does. That's what Brett does. Brett actually doesn't have a television. He's never seen TV since 1974. He just guesses. But he does have four video recorders. So... (laughs) One day, it's going to be a massive view. (laughs) Spectacular. (laughs) We won't have seen you for five years. We'll come in and you'll just be this giant blob because you won't have moved from the couch. You'll have food brought to you constantly. Hmm. And and you'll you'll be like Jabba the Heart. I'll be like Chuck. Not blinking, just looking. Finishes at the end of the night and fall over, and I have the intelligence of the TV world at my brainwave fingertips. When we say four video recorders, we're talking you know, like like actual tape kind of video recorders. Is it a, it's a collection or a? Um... No, I'm, I'm mostly watching off. Uh, what... <laughs> now you have two hard drive recorders and two VCRs, don't you? Yes, I do have those. <laughs> do you have a video disc player? As in Laserdisc? Laserdisc? No. no I can't record on Laserdisc, I just thought maybe like yeah, a little, little museum. We could go around your house and there'd be this you know, <laughs> history of recorded media stretching down a long hallway. He does, he does still tape everything on beta. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. No, he doesn't. It's better quality. <laughs> can't beat it. Can't beat a beta. Uh, so that's all coming up. We've also got a, a healthy uh, ladle of pork. Oh, that just has a, a horrible image to it. <laughs> But, as always, let's kick things off with the Box Cutters News. 
news. ABC's South Asian correspondent Peter Lloyd has been arrested in Singapore for a drug possession. Mm. Uh, apparently, he was caught with some ice. Not the not the sort that you can just crystal meth. Yeah, yeah. Not the uh, not not the sort that you can just buy at the service station. No, but no. it's some ice, a pipe. He uh, was also named by somebody who was busted. He was he was named a by a thirty-one-year-old Singaporean man uh, who was who was busted, and he uh, was caught with the uh, w- with the ice with the pipe and has tested positive for amphetamines. That's Peter Lloyd or the other guy? No, that's Peter Lloyd. Uh, but wasn't he in all, hospital? With, according to uh, to reports the from the uh, AAP and the ABC. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have that information. He was definitely in hospital with an eye infection. I was under the impression that they'd actually gone into an the hospital. Eye, and ice, ice infection? Maybe he was shooting, <laughs> shooting up through the eyeball, you know. I hear that's a common thing amongst the ABC presenters. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. <It's> t- <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, Nobody's the, alleging that. <laughs> the uh, ABC News director has uh, travelled to Singapore or, or is going to travel to, to Singapore early this week uh, to find out what's going on there. Mm. Peter Lloyd could be up for between five and 20 years in jail and 15 lashings. Now, let's not forget Singapore is the place where they still do lashings. With and not, Yeah, not ginger beer. No, this, this is such a gangster story all round for the ABC, isn't it? It's just—it's it, it, it's very hardcore. But surely nobody could operate as as an international reporter doing ice. Well, you'd think, but maybe it's a slow news day in South Asia. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it, it's strange. So I, found, I also found it kind of suspicious that authorities went to his apartment while he was in hospital and found all this stuff. See, they're just saying that he was in possession of it. So I, I haven't read that information that that you've uh, got. Well, I, I was uh, I was paying keen attention as the story was breaking, right? Uh, which I think was on Friday, and kind of hearing it on the the midday news on ABC Radio, and then again on PM. Um, but yes, uh, I'm I'm almost definitely sure that he was in hospital when he was uh, charged. Right. Whereas I've been hiding from the world, just watching season five of The Wire. So. I have no idea. All I know is is what information I could uh, garner from uh, still published internet news sources. Uh, so yes, I, I don't know. But Peter Lloyd, great, a, a great correspondent. Uh, it would be hor- horrible to lose him as a correspondent. And uh, yeah, I'm quite liking Brett's conspiracy theory here, though, or at least this, yeah, the, the the germination of a possible conspiracy theory. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact if he was in hospital, I'm not sure how long it, he was in hospital. But you know, if he's in there and he's got this guy naming him as as a supplier, who use, who's using his apartment and who's putting what in his apartment? Well, the, I mean, it sounds like a really tentative case that they'd have mm-hmm. against him, Ex- except for if they say it's your apartment, so you're in possession of that stuff that we found there. And then they, but they do say that he wa- that he tested the, positive the for positive amphetamines. Test, yeah, I didn't hear until later on, and that that's kind of strange as it's well. It's probably international baggage handlers again. You know what they're like. Oh, they're so <laughs> they're so dodgy. International baggage handlers. They break Horrible. into your house. You know, they stack ice in there. They shoot it up through your eyeball, and before you know it, <laughs> you're in hospital <laughs> being arrested. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the old old story, really, isn't it, Josh? It's why it's why I don't go any further than Frankston. 
for your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, do you want to get me out of this hole? Uh, yes, uh, do, re, kind of relating to the car, uh, to the Corbys. Um, Mich- Anna- Michelle, where am I going? I have Anna no Curran idea. is looking to leave today tonight after uh, she's been finding herself more the subject of the stories rather than the reporter of the stories. Um, especially the in, reporter of the story. Especially in regards to uh, to the defamation case with Mercedes Corby, losing yes. that, and uh, ABC got uh, had an out-of-court settlement with the uh, Corby family over After Anna things Corrin that, and, going and, on to ABC Radio and saying that she didn't agree with the finding. Um, she has just over six months left on her contract with Channel 7, and it's understood that she's been in the uh, Atlanta scene in head office studios uh, doing a bit of an audition for perhaps Hong Kong posting. Well, that's that's great. It's great to know that uh, a host who does nothing but get into gaffes can always get a really high-paying foreign posting job. That's that's wonderful. That's, I don't understand. I don't understand why she would even be considered for... Uh, for another job somewhere. I mean, that's that's what doesn't make sense to me. I understand with uh, with Stan Grant, where he kind of uh, lost the uh, lost the recognition that he once had, and the, uh, the the understanding that he was a good journalist and a good presenter, and so he went to a foreign market to rebuild his his reputation. Are you talking about the first or the second time? I'm talking about the first time because the second time the damage was still done. I mean, this is what we talked about with uh, he with still James. hasn't moved down front line. Yeah, well, that's that's it. I think in Australia, Stan Grant is uh, is just ruined. But with Anna Curran, where she keeps putting her foot in it, where she keeps getting uh, her employer or whoever she talks to into trouble, why? Would somebody hire someone like that? It does seem to be an Australian tradition, though, doesn't it? I find with, yeah, especially with our television, it's that weird thing of people just swapping seats. You know, so like Yarn Event's done all of them apart from Channel 31 now. Yes. And I reckon she's got her eye on them as well. And, you know, the other thing where, I, I do want, you do wonder, though, these, these reporters, no one ever gets fired, no one ever retires, no one ever leaves. Everyone just sort of moves from one place to the other. And I, I maybe they all know each other? Are they all friends? I don't know. Is there, a, is there some sort of network that... An exchange program. You're big on conspiracy theories. I am today. Yeah, yeah. I'm going crazy on them today. You're, you're X-Files mad. I'm going to work the Kennedys in before the end of the show. Nice I, Mark my words. I'm not sure if the, the anchors get that much time uh, to kind of hang out together, but, but the journalists that are actually going on site and reporting on stories definitely get to but know also, each other from, from the competing networks. I mean, another question, too, to be asked, especially, I think, for like commercial television news gathering, does it even really matter who the reporter is? I mean, it, might, it may well be that... that the, I'm, I'm trying to find a nice way of saying a trained monkey could do it, but I can't. A Ooh. trained monkey could do it. You know, it's that thing of, of, of they're, what, three-minute-long stories with little information in them. They're not known for journalistic sort of quality, especially if you're talking about your Today Tonight's and your current affairs. It's not like it's... Do, not, do, not, do you want me to get James Talia on the phone now <sighs> to, to defend himself? Do, do you right. want me to? Do you want me to? Because it, here's... It's all my plan to talk to James Taylor. That's all it is, really. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Uh, with, uh, there is still a, a huge amount of journalism in television journalism when, when that's what you want to do. There is still the, uh, the, the contacts that you have, the stories that you can, 
that you can garner. Yes, there is a, a large amount of news director comes in and assigns stories to people, but uh, there are stories that are being worked on all the time, like any newsroom. And uh, it's. I think what you're saying there is, is just like saying, well, couldn't a trained monkey edit the age? Because all you need to do is get all the, the best articles from The Guardian. From the Guardian. And, and then, uh, uh, but uh, I don't know. I just think, with especially with, with commercial news, so much of it seems to come from a, a news director point of view. You know, it, I, you know well, call me a fool if you want. I mean, I was at my, my, I'm sorry, I've digressed you completely away from the whole news concept. That's right. Um, on things like Current Affair and, and Today Tonight, my favourite stories are the ones where, because you know how they, they basically are there to push the buttons of their perceived audience. They, they go, we know you hate this group or we know that you think these people are getting an easy time, so we'll push your buttons. But every so often they do that story where they obviously can't quite decide what the audience is going to think. So they're going, well, all right, is this woman a, you know, a heroic victim? victim of circumstance or is she a bludger we haven't quite decided we're going to play this story right down the middle and then whatever the audience response is will lead to our our, our follow-up reporting later on mm. she's got seven children of five different men yes you know is she a victim or is she a villain you know it's, it's, it's that whole thing of the audience will decide and um and i kind of yeah feel an awful lot with that sort of news it, it's obviously well, coming from a news director rather I than think, i think a when, you're t- when you're talking about a current affair and today tonight that's a very different scenario mm-hmm. when you're talking about actual news reporting uh then yes it is still and, and uh, you know even even then even with the current affair and today tonight it is still the the questions that the reporter asks of their subject that gets them the material to edit together mm-hmm. uh and uh, a good reporter will ask different questions now for a current affair and, and today tonight often uh, their stories seem to be more about spruiking a product, say, than uh, than actually investigating the product. And so there will be a lot of leading questions, and that's not really great news gathering. And I think uh, you know it gets to a stage where if you're uh, if you've taken that road, you've pretty much given up being a, a journalist, and, and you just yeah. you've just decided to be a current affairs reporter which is a completely different beast, mm-hmm. I think. But as far as uh, special reports on uh, on the Channel 9 News, I think now that they're still doing special reports on a Monday night. Uh, as far as that goes, it is still the, the news-gathering concept and there is still the uh, producer and, uh, and reporter relationship of, uh, of who gathers what. That's... I don't know. That's, that's my defence of the, of the profession. Yeah. I, but th- that being said... There are people coming into the the profession who think that that's what it's going to be, and who think that uh, well, the, they can just go and become an, a, a current affairs reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are people who have had pretty much no background whatsoever, become and then they go and become, say, LA correspondent for Channel Nine. Uh, and just you know to pick a a, a random uh and uh and, you know and that's that's wholly unfair because there is a a market there and there is the opportunity there for uh for news gathering uh but these people are just you know going on junkets or spruiking for for products or you know and have no basis in what journalism was to start but what with. I'm thinking too and and back to you know, the woman who we're talking about whose name I've already forgotten Anna Corrin yes um Anna Corrin it's like you know if Anna Corrin has the look that is what commercial news wants and the voice that commercial news wants it possibly doesn't matter whether or not she's a good journalist. You know, it could well be that oh, yeah. well, she, she fits that. So much of that would just be looking good and being able to read an mm-hmm. auto cue. 
yeah. and not being Naomi Robson. Let's not forget that. I think the, the greatest thing that Anna Curran had for her at that time was that she, she was in the right place at the right time and she wasn't the right person. Wearing khaki with a lizard on well, the Well, that's it. She wasn't Naomi Robson, and that's pretty much all that Channel 7 needed. It could have gone to Chris Barth just as easily as it went to, to Anna Curran, I, I believe. Chris Barth, though, seems to have a, a little bit more credibility. That's just the That's just the way I see it. So... Anna Curran quite possibly leaving Channel 7 is, uh, is the upshot of that one. Hmm. It'll that be right? interesting to see uh, who replaces her. Well, Maybe Chris Barth, although she does seem to be... Uh, she's up in Sydney, yeah? Chris Barth, yeah. 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 Mind you, if they did put a trained monkey in, I would watch that. Uh, you know how long it takes to train a monkey? You know how much it costs to train a monkey? Well, you know, you get pre-trained Penis. monkey, obviously. You wouldn't just... Yeah, you get one from CNN or something. But, oh, yeah. yeah. One of the CNN monkeys. But I just think it'd be really interesting. You know, a, a news program presented by a trained monkey, I would happily tune in to watch that. What about the chimp from... Uh, obviously not a monkey, an ape, but the, the chimp from Project X. Yeah, not big on apes. Really? Mm. Really? You like monkeys? Yeah, I prefer a monkey. You like meerkats. A tail. Imagine the news presented by meerkats. That would be great. That would be everything. Everything would be exciting, and that would be great for everyone. I mean, who wouldn't watch the news presented by a meerkat? You know, the kids would love it. The oldies would love it. <laughs> I think that's across all demographics. I think. I think you've got something there. Yeah, I think I can news presented by by meerkats with a kind of constant string of chocolate bars just moving across the bottom of screen to get that on-screen advertising in bit of product placement. Oh, it's pretty- oh, and you know what? The meerkat moving its head back and forth, it could look like it's it's watching the chocolate bars going uh, by. To the bank. Just, you know, to the bank. Genius. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's an idea that uh, Channel 9 would like to take from us because David Gingell seems to uh, be interested in taking concepts from, uh, from other networks and trying to make them Nine's own. Uh, he was uh, reported this week in The Australian... Uh, as uh, wanting to possibly get Big Brother on Channel 9. Yes. He uh, he said, uh, it's run its race in its present form. I still think it has some life in it in another form. Channel 9 will be looking at it. Now, what could he mean by that? Well, I don't know, because Channel 10 said the same thing. Channel 10 said, oh, we're not going to... We'll be coming back next year. We'll be coming back year, next year, but... but maybe in two years' time in another form. Mm. Now, the idea of it being in another form, does that mean in a form for which we don't have to pay Endemol any money? Mm. Liquid or gas. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Well, in yes, another form. yes. Hey... <laughs> Heat it up or cool it down. I got one word for you: meerkats. No, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> They've done that meerkat manner. I know, which, which is great. Um, it, it's funny. I, I remember last week you guys were talking about uh, Big Brother as well, and I, I was just, I the first time I ever heard of Big Brother, and and this again shows how completely you know, out of base I am with the general population. I thought the idea was fantastic because I would have done it as a thing where you put in a deliberately mismatched bunch of people. Yeah, you know, so you put in like a neo-Nazi and you know, Gandhi or something. You put all these people mm-hmm. together deliberately chosen to kind of you know rub up against each other and instead it always said it was a contiki you know 18 to 30 tour thing and and get get them drunk and and show their boobs which reflected the audience you know perfectly so maybe in that way it may well, they, they tried a little success. bit in this year's season um but then nobody liked the racist old woman so they voted her out and then she gets put back in and right? now Ooh. And now, and she might even win. Well, uh, and we, we don't know, because it's, it's going to air as we're speaking. So, no idea. The interesting thing, too, is I was reading a book about how they uh, make things like The Amazing Race. And um, you know how The Amazing Race and, and shows, the American kind of reality game shows, always have this thing at the end where it's, it's this is not an elimination round. You know, so, like, like it's always... 
if the wrong people are going to lose, like, yeah, they're, they're brilliantly done. They've cast these people to go against each other. If the villains are going to lose, they will deliberately make that a non-elimination round because they, you can't get rid of the villains or else the show's not interesting. The problem with things like Big Brother, when, you know, the, 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 the racist grandma gets voted out, they have to put her back in because she's, she's the villain. But there's no, there's no clever way of doing it. They have to go, and oh, we're just putting her back in. You know, so I think they could just rig the the votes. They could. That's been done before in the UK, and the, the they've been found out yes. for the, it. And yeah, so, and so they, they, they would dare. They would dare do that in Australia. Yeah, but it. maybe there's another form they can do. Maybe that, maybe that is another form where you can deliberately choose a slightly more cantankerous. You know, you, you cast have them like in a, the same way the Americans do. Have like a big ball barrel and, and pick the numbers <laughs> for the house made up, but change the number on the ball that you pick up for, for who's nominated. Oh, that would never happen on Australian television. Never, Brett. Never. No, I, you, you're right. Uh, but that reminds me of uh, that reminds me of uh, uh, the Channel Seven show National Bingo Night. Were, were you across that at all, John? Uh, this may have been when I was overseas, or maybe just what I wanted to be. I, I can't remember. But um, I, I it's not ringing any bells. Were, were, you, were you overseas six months ago? Uh, uh, no, no, so right. no, Does that turn- wasn't. Yeah, no bingo. <laughs> Meant anything to you? No, no? I, really? I somehow managed what? to avoid this particular. Plank of popular what, culture. What tunnel were you living in? That's it's it's extraordinary because uh, National Bingo Night was a huge sensation, <laughs> and uh, and uh, was followed by uh, a huge uproar because uh, people didn't get the prizes that they allegedly won, uh, or people allegedly didn't get the prizes that they won. Whatever it was, people were complaining that prizes were not given out because episodes hadn't gone to air. episodes hadn't gone no. to air. Ooh. But also, uh, but that. also that the the ball that comes out of the shoot. Mm. And the ball that the ball girl picks up and shows. <laughs> so you would have loved this show, John, because it's you can't talk about it without saying the word balls too much. That's great, and, and also I'm loving this element of conspiracy theory, which is popping up <laughs> in it as well. Yes, yes, and and she would pick up. A, apparently, she picked up balls that were not the balls that came out of the shoot. Nice work. So, uh, so, th- so the early numbers were stacked. Yeah. So they they knew what bingo cards were out there, and they would uh, bring up the balls that made up the first five numbers or whatever. Yeah. So that everybody would get on the edge of their seats, and then it would be random from there. So oh, and that's 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 the other thing as well. It wasn't a true randomization of bingo cards nope, either. Nope. Not at all. What's going to happen in 30 years' time is going to be an award-winning feature film based on, on Bingo Night, much as in the same way the Quiz Night yes. know, quiz show quiz was show. made by uh, Robert Redford. There's going to be, yeah, this great... I'm looking forward to that. John Turturro is going to play all the parts. He's marvellous. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So, yeah, so uh, David Gins, Big Brother is what we're talking about. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Bro. Yeah, I feel like, really, I've just come great. in to interrupt you constantly tonight. And just, that's you know. how we like it. You heard the show with Josie Pirelli, quite frankly... <laughs> You're not interrupting enough. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yes, Gingell said of 10 that they uh, they paid a lot of money for Big Brother and they needed to get as much value as they possibly could, so they ran a lot of hours. But running so many hours puts a big strain on the show. In its present form, it's not sustainable, but it delivers good numbers among the 16 to 24-year-olds, which is good for any network. This quote comes after... The Ginge has just said, yeah, we're going to do really well after August. He, he, he really he does. He says, August is for Channel 7. That's without a doubt. After it's August. because of the Olympics. After August, it's, uh, it's all for us. And uh, talks about how strong Channel 9 has been recently. 
because they've been targeting the 24 to 54 year old uh, demographic. So why would you want the 16 to 24 year old demographic when you're strongest in 24 to 54? That's what I want to know, Ginge. I don't think he was expecting anyone to, to read or really pay attention to the words. Certainly not in the order they were put. Right. I think, you know, I think in many ways, you know, you just make some noise and put out a bit of paper with squiggles on it. And that's kind of what you do. You oh, go, yeah. you know, my show's failed. What'll I do? I'll make some noise and a bit of paper with some squiggles. And, you know, you don't really expect anyone to stop and think about what the noise and the squeals mean. It's my fault. Yeah. My fault. Yeah, I think, Josh, you've, you've taken it the wrong way around. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Ginge, my fault. Is it also Channel 9 that's uh, making an Australian version of that? Um, yeah. Hole in the Wall? No. No, the one that it's an American production. They're shooting it down in Argentina. I can't think of the name of it. It was on Wednesday. Is it let's, ha- let's Have a Revolution? It was, <laughs> they had one episode of that and three episodes of Two and a Half Men last week. I think on Thursday night. I think oh, it was on Channel 9. Um, Wipeout? Yes. Yes. Channel 9 are going to be doing a local version of Wipeout, apparently. Uh, because local they- contestants still shot in Argentina. Oh, really? Yeah. really? That's pretty good, though, for is a local it, contestant, because even if you don't win, you know, it's a trip to Argentina. This show, I've seen clips from this show. I haven't seen the, the one episode that Channel 9 showed. But this is really about how can you get a contestant to cause as much injury to themselves as possible while doing ridiculously stupid things. So, uh, you know, they, they need to uh, try to walk across uh, barrels that are floating in, in the water. And the bit uh, that I saw last week was a conveyor belt that they had to run along, and then there were three doors that were, that, that were hanging, so they had to <laughs> catch up to the door, pull it up, and walk, run under it. After they'd got through the first or second door, then there'd be a couple of guys at the end of the conveyor belt tipping tennis balls onto the conveyor belt to trip them up. And then, then yeah. on, on either side of the conveyor belt, you've got the, these spikes and fire. <laughs> See, and so- the, the, thing, the thing is, this is the thing that I don't quite work out, is that, as, as I know that you guys have talked about, um, we're in an age, I, I believe, in which television is probably the best it has ever been. The best television, you know, like The Wire and uh, The West Wing, Six Feet Under, Sopranos, they're all American, aren't they? Um, and 75% yeah. are all That's, finished. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, li- but, life on Mars. Life on, throw Life on life Mars, on Mars there, make, make brilliant, English happy. You know, um, and, and, you know, Battlestar Galactica, the new one, all these shows, they're amazingly good and much better, much deeper, much more sophisticated. And, and for the first time ever, television's taken over from film, you know, with that level of sophistication. You don't see in mainstream cinema the amount mm. of, of, you know, truly good and, and interesting uh, an explosion of theme that you do in television. Dark Knight on, notwithstanding. On that one end of the spectrum. And yet somehow the other end of the spectrum now appears to just be, yeah, throwing ping pong balls at people and pushing them through holes in, in polystyrene and and broadcasting it in prime time. And I don't I don't get how the two ends have somehow moved. It's it's stuff that you used to only be able to get if you went and asked the right people and went down the right alleys in Thailand. And <laughs> And now they they are they're, they're broadcasting it. It's it's ridiculous, and it's it's just a matter of time before we see some form of uh, of cockfighting. That well, is, it, it does know, seem yeah that we're getting closer and closer to a show in which we just hit people with bits of wood, you know, and it's called lowest common denominator. It goes on eight thirty on Channel Nine, and it's 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 a Reading's bonanza. Eight thirty Channel Nine, what night? Uh, Thursdays. I'm uh, I'm, I'm setting the IQ. <laughs> and I just yeah, I just find it I find it bewildering that we've somehow as a society have ended up with with. These two ends of the spectrum that, you know, and so people like me can happily just download the ones they want to watch and never watch television ever 
and and not really kind of miss out on anything. And, and what, is, what has happened? What has happened, Brett? What has happened, Josh? Explain what, it to me. What, Why have we... What, what size wood are they hitting each other with? <laughs> well, it'd be two by four with a nail through the end. Oh, see? With Gold. The na- names of sponsors emblazoned on the... Uh, yeah. S- straight to the bank. Why? What's happened? Television's trying to cater to everyone. I think the people in the middle really miss out. Well, you do wonder. I mean, it's like, because I, I couldn't say television is, is being dumbed down because there is so much of it, which is incredibly good now. But, but that incredibly good, at least in this country, goes on at 11 o'clock at night and to an audience of four. You know, hello to everyone watching Dexter. Yeah, and it's that whole thing of, of what, yeah, I just don't know. I don't, I don't get what's... It's, it's, yeah, what, Dexter, it's what, Dexter dropped a mill last night. Dropped a mill? From, it's from last week's view. Oh, it dropped a million viewers. Yeah. From so, what it went from like one point two to seven to something. Wow! Well, I saw Flight of the Concords. I think rates three hundred thousand or something, and it's just yeah, it's I think the best comedy on air. And again, though, is that because all of us who wanted to watch it have already downloaded? Um, yeah, maybe maybe ratings figures have now become largely relevant in, a, in an age in which you can select the programs you want to watch i'm well, not sure for that much of a like that kind of a majority mm-hmm. well here's here's the thing that we worked out as well with the way that the man and the chicken work out the ratings yeah uh they have so few people that i mean it's only like three people in the whole of australia who they who they count for <laughs> ratings so if if obviously i'm exaggerating but it's not very many people uh and I've tried to, to speak to... Uh, who does our ratings in Australia, Brett? Oztam. Oztam. I've tried to speak to Oztam to try to get their methodology or, or some some amount or some even vague discussion of their methodology uh, or, or even interview someone on, on the yeah. show about how they do it. No, won't have a bar of it. Uh, but I, I am fairly sure that if if it's one household that is downloading a show... Mm-hmm that will affect thousands and th- possibly hundreds of thousands of num- numbers as far as viewers viewers go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one household or two households. So, so it, it is a case of uh, if it's the sort of show that is more likely to be downloaded and it's the sort of household that has someone who is more likely to download a show, yes. then yes, that yeah. is going to affect the, the figures. But as far as real people watching the show goes, yeah. no. No, I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it really affects it that much. It would be curious to, to, to. I mean, there's no way we can ever know, but I'd be curious to know how many people have actually seen Underbelly you know, in Victoria. Everybody. It, well, it does appear to be everybody. Have you? I haven't sure. yet, which is because I'm still waiting for my copy. But um, you know, but it's just that thing of. of hey, I'll it, just get Mick Gatto on the phone. He can organise that. But you know, it seems a lot, and you kind of wonder. What what numbers are we talking? I'd be really curious to know, are we even talking like an SBS or ABC kind of st- size audience have seen this thing that has never been aired, which would be quite interesting to... Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's definitely that size audience. I, I mean, people talk about it all the time. People have seen... I, I said a, a, a number of weeks ago on the show, when the man who makes my sandwiches in the morning has seen more episodes of Underbelly than I have. Mm. That's when I know it's it's really gone mainstream as far as pirating goes. And it gets covered in the media as if it was just a show on television. You know, it's yes. got that point now where it's like such and such the star of Underbelly. Well, know? because that's how it is in every other state. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the, the Sydney-centric uh, character of the networks, that's but even, just but even the way in, you know, they in, talk in to us even though we haven't seen it. Yeah, even like in the Age or the Herald Sun, for example, though, you'll, you'll see 
references to these people as if you know who they are. And yes. that's kind of interesting that, you know... Yeah, well, how many times have we seen Roberta Williams on The Current Affair? Too many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too uh, many. Just to correct myself uh, from before, Dexter last week was 860,000, this week 780,000. I was uh, So, so I w- when you said a million, you meant 100,000 views? I was, no, no, no I, was, I was actually remembering a comment on uh, David Knox's TV Tonight site. Oh, that, an, uh, an incorrect comment. And Dexter and P- Private Practice lost almost a mil this week. There was a, oh, together, maybe? Maybe together. There was know. a plus or minus. It's kind of 900,000 on that number, <laughs> yeah. wasn't there? That was it, you know. yeah. Apparently, uh, CSI New York lost 400,000 viewers from Miami uh, last what, night. Why are viewers from yeah. Miami watching Australian television, Brett? <laughs> CSI Miami. Uh, you've got uh, one story about advertising. I do. Uh, junk food. Uh, well, in fact, Free TV Australia. Uh, which is the industry group uh, covering our TV stations, has said that uh, if proposed federal government legislation uh, restricting junk food advertising in children's programming uh, comes about, then it will strangle funding for children's TV, forcing shows from the air, so there won't be any more kids' TV shows. I'm convinced. If you can't let us advertise (laughs) McDonald's, then... Screw you. You don't get any t- uh, children's TV. That's it's basically what they're saying. That's great. That's great. That's, that's a, a, you know, everyone benefits from that. That's, uh... it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see which one blinks first oh, um, as, as they try to hold a gun to the head of the federal government. You, you know what? The, the networks still have to show the children's programming. They still have to make a certain number of children's drama hours a year. Uh, that's not going to change. Maybe the quality will change, but the number of hours is not going to change. So, uh, no, screw you, Free TV Australia. <laughs> that's, that's it. That ah. is the Box Cutters news. Hey. Bonjour tout le monde, bienvenue à Box Cutters. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Box Cutters. This is Toby Sullivan uh, displaying his bilingual prowess on the best TV podcast that uh, I've ever encountered. It, it is... It is. He keeps telling me that. It's the best I've ever encountered. Or, uh, Toby, you're not listening to enough other podcasts. He goes, I'll keep it that way. Make you special. I've got to say that Toby Sullivan, is a, he's, a, he's a slice of fried gold. He <laughs> is just... Uh, I recently shot a, a short film with Toby. It's the second time I, I worked with Toby. And we've now discovered it's, it's my ambition in life to make life as miserable for Toby as possible. So uh-huh. the first time we shot, it was 47 degrees, and I put him under huge lights and gave him very complicated lines. It was hilarious. I remember that day I had to come and pick him up. Oh, yes, yes, as he was melting out the front door. Yes. Um, this time around, we decided to shoot him, and it went me out four degree uh, outside um, we, <laughs> in a very light sweater. So, yeah, that was uh, with next very complicated time, you lines. should try a bath scene. Well, what I'm playing next time is I'm sitting gonna, in cold water. I'm going to make a day. short film where Toby has to recite pie to 4,000 places <laughs> in the correct order in one shot with no retakes uh, while being encased in ice. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's probably the next one we'll do. And you know what? He's such a talented freak. He'll do it. He'll pull it off. He's, yeah. Oh, yeah. One take. Oh, one, <laughs> one take. take one, one take after another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... This uh, this first film that you you made with uh, with our good friend Toby Sullivan uh, was called Outland. Yes, and it was about uh, a, a set of gay nerds. Well, it was about a gay science fiction fan club. Which um, uh, it, it came from Adam Richard, who's also yeah the co-writer and and one of the one of the ensemble stars. Everyone's a star. <laughs> um, it, it came from a conversation with with Adam where I, I said I think you know we should create a vehicle for you 
And um, and he told me the best ever concept for this incredibly complex thing called the Kylie Show. It was just amazing. A show within a show within a show. And it was just incredibly detailed and complex and crystalline and interlaced and amazing. And he said, oh, we could just do something about gay science fiction fans. And I said, let's do that. Because <laughs> that sounds easy. Um, so we wrote, we wrote this thing, um, sent it to the ABC. They said, thanks, but no thanks. So we decided to make a short film. And mm-hmm. yeah, the short film version... Was, as far as short films go, very, very successful. Travel around the world. Um, it's it's been played in Portuguese more often than it's been played in Sydney, which I still find hilarious. And um, it's been translated into I think, six different languages. Um, it was just, it was just kind of fascinating to see the reaction it was having. And because the basic premise of the show is that our lead character, played by Wes Snelling, is. Um, He's not actually ashamed of being gay. Being gay is never an issue in this whole thing. But being a science fiction fan is horrendously embarrassing and something you have to hide at all costs. Um, So what I found was interesting, I went to London with it, to the the film festival there. And I went to to Texas for a few there as well. And people kept coming up to me afterwards going, that's me. That's my life. That's my friends. Um, and, and I also discovered an awful lot of people in this world really are embarrassed by their friends, which I did not realize was a universal truth. So that's, you know, that's the thing everyone reacted to. But also the people who weren't science fiction fans would come up and go, I watched that and I'm not a science fiction fan, but I'm a bird watcher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was like these very Oprah moments we kept having where people would come up and, and, and tell us about these things that, that, that they, they're going to be proud of, God damn it. And um, it was, yeah, it was quite a sort of beautiful sort of experience doing that. And so... After that, we sent it to the ABC going, here's a short film. Do you know, someone said maybe it could work as a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, since then we've been in development with the ABC and with um, the lovely Princess Pictures, Laura Waters and Yale Workman, as our uh, producers, who, of course, made... Um, the Aussie... Uh, Summer Heights High and... Um, and that Aussie accent... Uh, uh, oh, yes, there's a documentary about the Australian accent. That was on the house. Um, yeah, John Clark. Yes, that's a great piece of work, that. And, um, and of course, We Can Be Heroes, which is, a, I think, one of the best Australian oh, comedies yeah, of all time. It's, it's my personal favourite. So. And so, so you've been in, uh, in development with, uh, with that, and how long has that been going on for? Uh, I think we're reaching the third decade now. No, it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I promised to be nice. Um, it, it's, it's been about two years since... Well, it's been two years since the ABC was very first shown the short film. It's right. been it's been a lot less than that since Princess Pictures have been on board, but um, but yeah, we are kind of reaching that second anniversary now. So through that time, are you working with different people at the ABC? Or no, it, it's just that thing in Australia that um, everything takes a long time, and I'm always being told off for being impatient because apparently this is not a long time by Australian standards. We were kind of following a path set by Wilfred. Um, which I did not realise it took five years from mm. Wilfred the short film to, to Wilfred the TV series. Wow. So, so I, I have been, li- no, now understand that five years in Australia is seen as a fairly standard time to mm. create a TV Although what series. Was, what was, do you know what the actual turnaround time on The Hollow Man was? Now, the Hollow Man's a, about two weeks. Hollow Man's intriguing because no one seems to know. It apparently appeared out of nowhere. And I had even word from the ABC that various people in ABC didn't know they were playing it until they just got told. It was kind of like, oh, by the way, we've got this new TV show. That's mm. The Hollow Man. Now, now, Working Dog are notoriously secretive about what they're working on at any one particular time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so, they were definitely working on it last year. But yes. it, it seemed that once it got greenlit, it was extremely it went off. And, and, and that's brilliant, because I, mean, I, I do personally believe that, that a lot of comedy works on instinct and it works on, on topicality, it works on speed. And I think if, if someone like um, 
you know, working dog can do that. It's it's yeah, you know, it's brilliant to be on that on that moment. You know, but but it, but is that a, a problem for you? Because working dog can get a, a show greenlit based on uh, you know a, a drawing on the the back of an envelope, mm-hmm. uh, but that's because they have this uh, this track record of good and 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 not so great shows. There is that thing. I mean, the thing at the moment which we don't know is if Outland the TV series happens, do we then spend another five years to get you know the second series done, or does that just become? You know, we're now rubber stamped to be okay. I mean, the the the, the guys who made Librarians, for example, have another show uh, being filmed. I think just just finished filming now. It's not Librarians; it's something else. So you know, maybe once you're in in that in system, the in the club, yeah, maybe once you're hanging out with you know all those current affairs reporters in the secret club that you get invited to, yeah, um, because. I've done a number of pilots for both TV and radio here, and then I went overseas for a few years, and I did something with the BBC, came back and discovered that, in fact, everything I've done has been wiped off because uh, it resets all the time. So it's kind of frustrating. When when staff change in a In In, in Australia, you need to have a very personal connection, I think, with with the people in in charge. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to, you know... And because you, you did, you had uh, a sketch comedy show pilot that was uh, th- that was in the, the works at ABC for... Yeah, well, for... I, was at, I was at Triple R many years ago, many, many years ago, back in the early to mid-90s. They didn't have podcasts back then. It was just the wireless. And um, uh, I, feel, I feel so old. <laughs> I just feel so old. Anyway, we, we did a sketch comedy program called The Third Year, and we went from... Um, from Triple R to the ABC, where they were making a kind of... Uh, it was going to be a new sort of big gig kind of program. And we filmed stuff for that. It was called... Um, that then led to... That show kind of morphed into Something Hot Before Bed, which was a very kind of low-budget version of what they were after and yep. didn't kind of work. So... Which was... Uh, Something Hot Before Bed was really the, the start of the Jeff Portman years of, uh, of being head of comedy at the ABC. Uh, that's when... Uh, that's when he came in because you were telling me that when you started uh, when you started pitching to, a, to to the ABC they didn't have a head of comedy for about a well, year well, and a half. Well, when we were there, we came in. There was an acting head of comedy, and this this project was already underway, so we joined them to to do this pilot. And then um, after that, they kind of yeah. So something hot before bed kind of happened, and they went, well, that's going to do the live stand up section, but we'll keep filming you guys because we've got a sort of deal with you. So we kept filming sketches, and this is the weirdest thing that we kept filming sketches that just weren't for anything we were just and it was so weird to turn up at the abc to have hair and makeup and costume dressing you up to do this scene which was meant to be a a parody of destinos the let's learn spanish sketch but done in the style of pedro almodovar so (laughs) we'd all be there shooting guns at each other going uh el autobus esta junto a supermercado which is the buses near the supermarket yeah with all the little and and going why are we doing this (laughs) we're being paid but I don't know what it's for. So, so who owns all of that footage? I don't know. Some of it I've never seen. We did a sketch which was um, uh, shows shows that never went beyond pilot. It was this sort of theme of, of a whole number of them. And one was um, uh, Azaria Dingo Girl, which was based on, <laughs> on the idea that um, raised by dingoes, Azaria Chamberlain <laughs> now has um, telepathic powers and, <laughs> and fights. And the... <laughs> 
the weirdest thing about it too was in our head it was a, it was one of those kind of made in Canada kind of series. So um, so Rani Cameron, the immensely talented Rani Cameron, was playing uh, Azaria in this scene in which um, David Ashton and myself were meant to be a big businessman building a casino in the outback, and she comes and going, "No, don't build the casino in the outback. The Dungos won't have anyone to love," because <laughs> it's meant to be like a Canadian's idea of what an Australian accent might sound like. Uh, we did get accused once of overestimating the intelligence of the ABC audience, so maybe that was true. <laughs> but, um, and then she waves a boomerang and, and strange magical you know, special effects appear. But um, uh, the one thing about that, it did get ripped off by a writer in The Age, um, who I would mention her name, but uh, I probably can't, allegedly. But she probably <laughs> knows who she is. So someone did yeah, rip off our idea and get paid for it in The Age. Catherine but, Devaney. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, three three names, sometimes DJs. Oh, anyway, oh she, um, <laughs> but, right. Uh, but, yeah, no, so we, we were filming all these sketches, and then there was talk of, okay, we're definitely going to give you guys a sketch comedy show. Yeah, and so we actually put together a pilot involving most of the sketches we filmed, thinking it would be nice to do something <laughs> with them, because we were kind of a bit crazy like that. Um, but nothing had happened until a head of comedy had been hired. There was no official head of comedy, and until that could happen, no new project could be greenlit. And it took two years for the ABC to get a new head of comedy. And it was just one of those things where the moment it passed, we'd kind of split up by that point, and... You know, it's just one of those, yeah, those odd moments where you kind of go, well, that was that was close, wasn't it? <laughs> Bureaucracy gone mad, well, I say. Just, it's just Some one of those odd things, yeah, just with, you know, with, I mean, I, I, we, are, we do have the problem in this country that obviously the ABC is the only place that really generates new, new talent. You yes. know, SBS tries, you know, and they, they do very well, I think, with mm. the budget they've got, but... The ABC is well, and, that's, and that's a new thing for, for SBS as well. That's, yeah, uh, it is. It is. It's a new direction for them. And so what, what year was that when they eventually came back uh, to you? That would have been around 96-ish, I think, around that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, ABC Comedy does some interesting things. Like they, they threw together the Curry Brothers and uh, Katrina Mathers and a couple of people that, that she was working with for, for Flipside. Flipside. Mm-hmm. Um, which was basically just they had two groups that, that were working on a comedy idea and they just... Working the, together. Yeah, the network decided and, and to yeah, cause, do cause it together. Because as you would know from, from working in comedy, John, when you've got a group that works really really well together the, the the best thing to do is ta- take randomly another throw more people into yes. it yeah. Yeah, yeah yes that that works really well so uh so outland as a tv series when, when you're thinking of of moving uh a short film because how long's outland it's about it, it is 25 minutes 25 minutes we, we should deliberately it's funny because we, we talked about doing like a 15 minute version which would uh, be a lot more accessible for film festivals but I was of the belief that we did that. People would go, oh, yeah, but it'll never stretch to 25 minutes. So I felt we had to do it at 25 right. minutes to show that it, it would. Yeah. Uh, but it is uh, just a single episode. So when, when you come from uh, that pilot, which is Ooh. essentially what it is, to uh, to fleshing out the, the concept to a, a six-part series or a 13-part series, how do you go about doing that process? Well, with, with ours, it's an ensemble cast. I mean, the, the short film had uh, Scott Brennan, Anthony McKetty, Adam Richard... Wes Snelling, Toby Sullivan, Toby Sullivan, um, yes, Mike Frenchman, and Neil Harris in it. So the idea is, I mean, those people probably won't be back for a series. You know, the characters will change, and, and um, or it's not all of them. But the idea was because it was an ensemble cast, was to sort of maybe uh, one thing's the very first series of Absolutely Fabulous, which I thought was great, was that it doesn't try to introduce all the characters in the first episode. It almost spends an episode each introducing those characters. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be that while you have your your lead character. You can also then spend your time 
sort of introducing the others so you can take a little bit of time to say here's character two and that's a little bit more about character three you know rather than because I always think first episodes are generally awful you know especially for comedies is that sense of you have to kind of throw everything in and explain who everyone is and what yeah, the relationship the, uh, the, is and the first episode of uh, of friends really stinks of that right and uh and yeah so that that makes sense that's also something that uh skins the the uk show mm-hmm. uh has has done they they focus a different episode on uh, on a different character uh and through that you get to know all the characters i think a lot a lot more intimately and a, a lot more uh carefully than if everyone was just thrown at you at the same time yes uh, and that's probably more to how we meet people in real life isn't it i mean to a degree you'll meet a bunch of people and, and it'll kind of take longer to meet some people than others and yeah you know so you'll hmm. And I think that's just a better way than trying to go, here's the guy and here's his catchphrase, you know, which is the other approach to kind of take to it. So, so when, uh, so, so you've got the, the characters worked out, you've got uh, each character's story worked out, you've got mm-hmm. the, the whole thing plotted out. Uh, how di- difficult is it to convince people at a network that this is what they should pick up? Well, I mean, this is this is my previous. It's funny because the previous stuff I've had up or nearly up before has been either sketch comedy. Um, I've done, I've had both. Yeah, actually, parts of both television and radio. <laughs> wow, radio! Remember that? Um, radio National had to go at one point of reintroducing, uh, trying to introduce a, a Radio Four BBC style kind of comedy arm, um, and we did some stuff for that as well. But there's that thing of in Australia. I was going to say, I think there's a problem in Australia. Unlike any other country, we really wouldn't care if we had no Australian content. I, I'm genuinely of the belief that if we took off all Australian programming tomorrow, no one would really mind. You know, it's like the UK only plays a majority uh, of English product. The, the Americans have never seen anyone outside of America for the last 30 years. You know, they've got no idea the rest of the world exists anymore. But I think in Australia, it's not like the UK has to create material. The Americans have to create material. You know, they have to generate new stuff. So... It's not like in Australia that we need, you know, 20 new series a year and half of them might succeed and two of them might become classics. You know, it's like here, it, it's not like in other countries they know they have to make something. Here you can kind of prevaricate to, to a degree because there's so little money to go around. We'll probably only make one or two comedy series a year. Well, that, that's so, it. It's, it's, I don't think it's, it's out of uh, a disdain for Australian television that, that we don't watch. Not a disdain, but I think we're just not... But I, think we, I think just as a, as a population, we've, we've lost that... It's not even pride so much. It's like, I think we, we've always been taught to think of ourselves as a, as a small nation. And I think particularly the Howard years was reinforcing that belief of, yeah, culture comes from overseas. And... All the important things happen overseas, and we're all about backyards and as long offenses. as it's not brown culture. Oh yeah, yeah you okay. know. But as long as yeah, it's English or American kind of white culture, you're fine. I mean, the famously, Menzies you know, was asked about setting up an Australian film industry back in the I think it was fifties, and he couldn't even grasp the concept. He said, "But Americans make films." That was his response. That was what we didn't make films. We were Australians. That's what Americans did. And I think there is a degree to which here, if you took out all the Australian programming, people would be a little bit disappointed. But I don't think they'd be up in arms about it. You know, I don't think it's a it's a thing that we see. And, and I we think, crave. I think there is there is something in there. There is a, a little nugget that could grow uh, to to be pride in mm-hmm. uh, in Australian product, where we get things like like Kath and Kim. Kath and Kim, the concept has been sold to. 
uh, to America, and they're, they're now making that into uh, in, into a sitcom over there. Yeah. And uh, every person I speak to says, "Oh yeah, but the the Americans won't get it." You know, it's 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 that thing of it's our. It's our story, it's our comedy, and we also want to keep it ours. Yeah. We don't we don't want to necessarily share it with with the world. They won't get it. Mm-hmm. Why why no, there has been news over this week that uh they they're reshuffling what well, making quite substantial changes in the crew. Um Cast. And in the crew. In the crew. Changing the director and and for, uh, head of photography and and a few things like that, and so it looks like they've maybe done a test screening and audiences aren't getting it, and so they're I must actually. Be, I, I'm really it. really interested to see the American one because I mean I, I don't yeah I don't think there's any reason why it shouldn't work, and I think though it should be retooled for an American audience, they should be doing something different with it. I'm just curious to know what what they want from it, like what will they take? What what do the well, Americans see as the the elements they they need? And yeah, and and how how will it work? And I think. When you're talking about uh, Australia, one of the, the problems that we have with getting work produced here is that it's very hard to sell work overseas for, for a couple of reasons. One, I think there is that mentality of, oh, they won't get it, so how do we market it to them? And mm-hmm. then we, we mismarket. Uh, but there's, uh, the, there's the, the other aspect of uh, we do have a very particular sense of humour. We we get a lot more humour than than we give. We give yes. a very particular sense of humour. And if somebody doesn't get that, well, then we can't explain it to them. We also work on very small stories. Um, it's a very Australian thing. And that actually I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But we're, 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 we're really into little scale stories. Uh, I think that actually has harmed our film industry in the last 20 years. But I think it, it, it's not such a bad idea for maybe for television. But that thing of we used to be able to make... I mean, you know, people want to see overseas. Want to see shows which have a, a sort of metaphorical level, I think, as well to a degree. You know, it's like the show is is about this on one level, but it's also about the nation, the, the nature of friends, or the nature of family, or the nature of mm. you know, it's on something larger. And our shows tend to be exactly about what they're about. You know, like I mean, Kathy and Kim, there's there's no subtext, you know, to Kathy no, and Kim. There's- but but. You mentioned We Can Be Heroes. There's there's heaps of subtext. Oh, in, We Can Be Heroes can be is a heroes. phenomenal it's... piece of work. Yeah, We Can Be Heroes. I mean, you, the minute you see that, you know that's an international sort of project. And it's funny that in many ways We, we Can Be Heroes, the Australianness of it is what makes it more appealing to me. It's like because everyone in any other country knows what an Australian of the Year idea is. You don't need to know what the Australian of the Year is, but you, you can kind of immediately know the type of thing it would be. You can look at those people and know the types of people they are. So mm. yeah, and I think that's that's what's interesting about it. it's on some one level it's a small story, but yeah, on another level it's it's and things like I mean the having a white man playing an Asian man playing an Aboriginal man is, is <laughs> that's just quite fascinating in itself. Should be really offensive, and yet it isn't. And yet, I, it, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. I think I think because it has so many layers mm. that it just it, it just works. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there, there is there is that thing of. There aren't necessarily enough layers in uh, in things that we produce in Australia. Definitely not in drama. I mean, it's looking at Underbelly and uh, everyone's raving about Underbelly, and I really still think it could have been so much more. Right. Uh, but uh, it, it was this this thing that I, I think you're getting at, where we sell ourselves short. We think, oh well, we can't. Maybe we are 
overestimating the intelligence of uh, of the audience, yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, or we think we're going to overestimate the intelligence of the audience, so we pull it back. We are we are a nation of soap opera. We have become this nation in which um, I was trying to. Someone was getting me to define exactly what I meant about soap opera the other day because I didn't. I do tend to use it as a, as a pejorative term, and and I was just saying that to me, soap opera is when. It's about, you know, the relationship between Becky and Steve, but that's all it's about. So what you're seeing on on, on first glance is entirely what, what mm. the story is about. It's only about that relationship. It's not about what their relationship might mean in a bigger context. It's not like, so Six Feet Under, for example, um, series one and two, I think, are, are phenomenal. By series three, it becomes a soap opera. It's really odd that series three onwards, it's really just about who Ruth is dating and... See, and I... This is, it's no secret to box cutters listeners, I'm not a fan of Six Feet Under. I think it was always that soap opera element. No, see, first, I, I think it was always in like Party of Five. The first series, because it is about death and it is about family, there are these much bigger levels working there. And, and it actually does resolve itself incredibly well. Episode 13 of Series 1, it's like, okay, the dad, everything with dad's now been resolved. We kind of know who we are. We know who we are as a family. The story is kind of over. You know, it's it's... Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I actually suspect series two I only like as much as I do because I think Rachel Griffith's storyline and her performance is is so engrossing that it's really. But that first series, it's definitely about more than just the relationships between these people. You know, it's it, it's it's got a lot more to it, and the, no, the especially the, the nature of death. You know, the notion of death is what that show looks at in a way that I don't think any other shows have really looked at to that amount. But yeah, but it is one of those things that, that it is po- possibly it's impossible for things not to become soap opera after a certain period if you've. And I think you know. I think with uh, with Six Feet Under it was it was about the introduction of uh, the character Lily, what's it? Lily Taylor's Lily Taylor's oh, yeah. Lily Tomlin's character uh, that that for me just took away so much that it had uh, in those first couple of series. Yeah, well, especially that first series when you, you're looking at. Um, and, and I've just gone completely blank on his name. Nate, Nate, uh, you know, Nate has gone away. He's left the family. He's deliberately excluded himself from this family. He's moved to Seattle. He's had to come back for this funeral. And it's that thing of of uh, the removal and the coming back to me as the whole that that was for me always for me the strongest element of that that show was was the idea of what is the family and what does the family mean and and how much do you have to be part of a family. You know, and so that was kind of interesting, I thought, in that series. And again, it's resolved by the end of the, the first series, so there's not really far to go. Now, John Richards, we uh, were going to talk about Doctor Who, and we were going to do an I Don't Buy It. Uh, we've gotten on to Alan Ball, and I'd like to continue the conversation. So if, if you don't mind, if the listeners don't mind us foregoing those segments, Brett, why don't you play a card, and then we'll uh, come back and... Uh, and talk more about television and its very nature with John Richards. Hello, I'm Courtney Hocking. If you want to hear about sports and cars... No, that's the wrong show! Oh, television, then uh, listen to Box Cutters. It's pretty great. Now, we, we were going to talk about Doctor Who, I just John, want to ask Josh, though, what happens if the audience is angry? What if they're home, waving their fists <laughs> at their computers, going, no, I was looking forward to that segment. The I mean, moment's passed. I know. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very sorry. We, we, were going to, we were going to talk about Doctor Who, but we started talking about Alan Ball, and I wanted to know if you've seen the new Alan Ball series, or, uh, or anything of it, which is based on a book about vampires. What's it called? Oh, who can remember? Because yeah, I'm, I'm loving it already. I'm there, but uh, yeah, I don't, clearly, I don't know this show. Just is loving it already as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, oh, I don't know. It's freaking Alan Ball. Oh, it's, no, it's some telly thing. There is there is no love lost between me and Alan Ball, and quite frankly, I'm sick of him sending me hate mail. <laughs> but 
this is it, it should I should like it because it's vampires and and I will tend to like even the worst vampire concept except for 30 days of night which was just appalling that's not a bad comic book though if i can just get even geekier than i have been already oh don't mention but the you, comic book did you see but did you, did you see the film i did, did see you, the film i did see the film oh. I'm, that's why i'm just defending comic book not bad you know if if you if you're into your graphic novel it's worth having a look at 30 days of night don't watch the film i had uh, I, josh hartnett no. That's a question. Yes. <laughs> no, Josh Hartnett. It's a bad idea. Really? Bad idea. You know, he he didn't he didn't do well for Pearl Harbor. Why was he going to do for, well for 30 Days of Night? It is so, hilarious in 30 Days of Night, though. That there's this thing about these characters have had this long and bitter relationship and they're, yeah, they're hard-bitten. And, and they kind of really should be you know, William H. Macy and, and, and uh, Patricia Clarkson. But instead, they're Josh Hartnett and someone from Neighbours. And it's just that whole thing of going... Mel- Melissa Bell. Melissa Bell, yes. And you're there going... Yeah, is it this uh, True Blood? Yes, True Blood, True Blood, which is Alan Ball <laughs> takes Brett a while to remember these things sometimes, but he gets there <laughs> no, in the no, end. No, he, <laughs> he needs to go to Fact Monster <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and look it up at uh, factmonster dot org net. Uh, Fact Monster. True Blood is uh, Alan Ball has has bought the rights to this to this book, which is uh, about uh, vampires becoming citizens. Like everybody else, okay, and uh, and so a bit like cavemen, a little a little bit like cavemen, and I downloaded uh, the pilot to, uh, to to see what was what it was all about, and it is interminable. <laughs> now, he has somehow managed to take every single bit of the story that could possibly be interesting. And has stripped it away. So all you're left with is a bunch of characters you don't care about getting into situations that you just don't care about. I just don't know why people keep giving him money to make television. Maybe. I mean, I could well be. I mean, it's funny because I know Six Feet Under does just, you know, have that effect that some people just loathe it. But you do wonder sometimes, maybe maybe there is one project that is the pet project. It's the thing he really wanted to say. And, and now he's said it. But, you know, so maybe maybe they can't all be winners, Josh. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you maybe know. it is winner and, and Josh is maybe um, Josh mistaken is wrong. again. Maybe yeah. Josh is just wrong. Maybe, maybe I am. I mean, I, I really, you, you know what? I'd forgotten that it was an Alan Ball show. Uh, and I, I started watching it. And I even tried to... Uh, tried to forget during the the opening credits where it went, uh, you know, created and written and directed and you know, asswiped by Alan Ball. Uh, I kind of I, you really hate Alan Ball. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> you do. He's never he's never written a play I've liked. Never done a film I liked. Never done a TV se- series I've liked. So American Beauty was it's terrible. No beauty. Yeah, it's like it's no. Uh, no, I think he's... Even uh, the scene with the plastic bag? I think he's uh, cheap and... Oh, uh, it's, anyway. Uh, who's the who's the lead actress in uh, in True Blood, Brent? It's, yeah. it's someone I really, really like. and Except in this. Yeah, really. Really, except Just in this. Coming up. Uh, Sam Trammell plays Sam Milotz. No. Nelson Ellis. No, it's a lady. It's yeah, a, listen, Nelson. Oh, it's I think Anna Paquin. 
And Anna Paquin's in it. Anna yes. Paquin's in it. Little Anna Paquin all grown up. Yeah. Sookie oh. Stackhouse, who reads people's minds. Yes. And she likes the vampires because they have no brainwaves. Correct. Yes. See, this show just gets more and more appealing for me. I can't help thinking maybe Josh is wrong. It's and just, it's it's made, true, true Blood is the name of, a, of an artificial blood. Uh, yes, made that, in Japan that the vampires can feed on, and more and more, so they don't need to to slaughter humans. I'm there to the bank, I say. <laughs> no, but um, actually, look, while we're talking about vampires and pilots, uh, I might also just kick in. Um, being human, have you guys seen this? This back to that notion of pilots. What I found intriguing was that the BBC, uh, who now have like you know, four million channels in in the UK. Yes, um, you know, BBC forty eight and a half or whatever it was. Played this, with, uh, this with thing, the Fairview Digital System. Yes, they, they yep. played this thing called Being Human, and they claimed it was a it was like a one off, you know, sort of telly movie thing. Um, and it's it's look, it's pretty good. It's I've got to say, it's about a vampire and a um, and a werewolf who share a flat. <laughs> um, it's written by the guy who wrote Gimme Gimme Gimme, which I hate. So oh. I I assumed oh. it was going to be a sitcom, oh. <laughs> you know, and it kind of hey honey, I ate the kids, but. Um, <laughs> But it's actually more like a Buffy-style thing, uh, a lot more sort of a serious approach. It's, it's 50 minutes. But the h- most hilarious thing about this is it's patently just episode one of a series. It is not in any way a standalone episode. The BBC have obviously made this, got a bit panicky, and have gone, well, whack it on BBC Three, see what the reaction is like, and then decide whether or not it's going to series. And it now is. It's had uh, quite good, you know... Uh, response from viewers and it's now going to series but I thought that was really interesting in itself going so it was no Mulholland Drive where it was setting up a series of threads that it would then oh no it definitely is setting up threads that's what I mean it just stops randomly Adrian Lester's like this evil vampire starting a vampire union and and I think it's got cliffhanger there there is no way (laughs) you can can, there's no way you could ever justify this as a one-off episode and yet they've gone oh yeah one-off there we go um yes if you like it, maybe we'll make some more. Um, and, but in some ways, though, I think that's great. And in, back in the 70s, this was not uncommon for, for sitcoms, for the BBC would actually run these, these um, series of pilots. Because we were talking before about how interesting it would be to go through the, the vaults of the ABC and pick out all their pilots. It was actually quite common for the BBC to go, for the next six weeks in this time slot, there's a different one-off comedy show. And one of those was actually Are You Being Served, which came from that. So the idea would be just to... Yeah, scattergun these things at an audience. I love, I love that idea. And also, I heard recently that uh, it, in the UK they don't necessarily do a pilot. They might just get actors to act it out on a, on stage. Well, I, to I tell do, you, do, do a play version of the pilot. A really and, big thing in the UK, and I really think we we miss out on on this here is, of course, radio. Um, radio Four has been the crucible for so many things, including the the Mighty Boosh, Flight of the Concords. Um, Link uh, Gentleman uh, I'm trying to think I think uh, uh, Catherine Tate the Knowing Me Knowing You uh, yeah, Alan um, Partridge yeah uh, uh, Mitchell and Webb Mitchell I think and Webb started look, off yes. yeah so I mean so, oh, Chris Morris and, oh, uh, and yeah. Blue Jam and so many people because of course radio is cheap I mean one of the best things about radio it's cheap and so you can get these guys in they do their sitcom you know Little Britain sorry Little Britain one of the most obvious ones yeah and um, and of course that way regardless of whether or not they build an audience, it's a brilliant way of actually seeing whether an idea is going to work. You know, and I think in this country we so lose because having Flight of that, the Concords was... Flight of the Concords was, yeah. yeah. Flight of the Concords is, is a six-part BBC radio series. Um, the TV series, some of the episodes are just basically verbatim from mm. the original, just shifted from London to New York. You know, there, so. And there are also uh, shows like The Department, which uh, was... 
Chris Addison, uh, Andy Zaltzman, and John Oliver. John Oliver went from doing the department to doing things very similar to to the stuff that he did on the department, which was a, a BBC radio serial mm-hmm. uh, on the Daily Show, and and now he's a he's a big comedian on the Daily Show. Andy Zaltzman toured. Uh, Toured Australia came for the, uh, the the Melbourne Comedy Festival a few years ago. Uh, again, very very similar stuff to the stuff that he was doing. Yeah, in, and it's, in it's the great. Department. So cheap, great way to try it out. I mean, that's the League of Gentlemen show that was on radio. It was actually called something else, but it was so obviously the prototype version of the League of Gentlemen that you know you can you can see the, the similarities. Yep, and um, and just yeah, it's such a cheap way of. of Trying out these ideas, and, and we were saying some years ago the ABC did have a go here on Radio National doing that, and I, I wrote a pilot which was on air for them as well. Um, but it was that thing of of there's not quite the impetus or the money to to bother with it because of course we don't then have the follow on for the the TV series that we would make from it. But um, there was a really great uh, idea that one of the Melbourne production companies had. It was a couple of years back, I think possibly with Channel Seven. The idea was that they were going to fund Channel 31 programs sort of directly. Mm-hmm. So it might just be one or two people from the show would get paid, and it wouldn't be a huge amount of money. But the idea is that rather than, say, get Hamish and Andy to come to Channel 7 or whatever to do quite an expensive series of, of pilots, you might pay them to do a whole series on Channel 31 of something. Because, of course, you can go for a much simpler, much lower-tech kind of look. It's going to be acceptable. And then the idea was to see which of those would, would sort of float, which I thought was a really interesting idea. And apparently, hang, hang on, hang, hang, hang. What, what you're talking about there is, is an un-Australian concept. That's communism. Nurturing talent. <laughs> yeah, yes, and it was actually, yes. It was all about nurturing talent. We, we don't do that here. But not only nurturing talent, but, but also getting them to actually produce material. So not nurturing talent in a kind of you know, incubator concept way that we're very big on at the moment. Also but, improving their skills. Yes, it was actually getting them on there. Getting them doing it. It was doing it. So, right? so hang on, not hiring 30 other people to give them opinions on what they should be no, doing. No, not flying anyone from overseas and not, uh, yeah, and not getting people in an office that's, to, to... I don't know, that's, the, a, that's a foreign concept to me. I actually, just, you know, you brought it up, is that idea of actually focusing on the talent is kind of odd. That just seems, for, for Australia, it really yeah. is, because what we try to do is create television by committee. Yeah, because Channel 31 in particular, I mean, you know, again, you've got your thing, that, that's our radio, I guess, in some ways. You've got Rove, um, Salam Cafe, uh, Vesely's Garden. Uh, well, we, we had Josie Pirelli on the show last week mm-hmm. and Chart Busting 80s is a show that would never have gotten up at uh, at a network level yeah. because it's such a difficult show to pitch. Oh, I show uh, 80s videos and I dance to them and uh, and, <laughs> uh, and and that's that's pretty much it. You know, how, how do you pitch that? Yeah. Uh, but it went for how many seasons on Channel 31? 100 Seven, million? Right? And uh, and has DVDs. She's, she's brought out DVDs as she's well. Brought, brought yeah, there's actually been three or four DVDs. Gold record DVDs. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. She's got the uh, the plaques and everything. Uh, and uh, you know, and and has built a, an exceptional audience. And uh, then the show ended, and people were upset. Yes. So I mean, I think it's a real shame we we, we this particular company at least moved away from that. I, th- I think it was Channel Seven. I could be wrong, but. I think what a great idea that would be if one of the funding bodies. Well, Channel Seven did have Hamish and Andy on for like five episodes and then dumped it. That's why. That's why I do in my head have the idea it may have been Channel Seven, but certainly it was. It was a network, and they they apparently approached this production company, which I'll go unnamed, with the idea of effectively nurturing talent through Channel Thirty One, and I thought that was a really interesting idea. And, and it makes it does make a lot more sense if the the TV networks had some kind of 
social interest in the the community television stations. I mean, mm. then community community stations would have a, a bit more funding than they have now, and they wouldn't have to put a lot of money into it. But it would be a, well, a, a cyclical thing. This was of- the idea, the idea that one pilot on Channel 7 would actually pay for a whole series on Channel 31. Yeah. And, of course, a whole series, you know, it means if you're doing 13 episodes or 20 episodes, by episode 10, you've worked out a lot of errors that you haven't worked out by the end of your one-half-hour you know, pilot. I wonder if they'd be threatened that it might make 31 more viable. Well, but it would never be, but, you know, but it would still be that 31 quality. It would still be, you know, you're, you're booming bad sound and too much headroom, which you know, is what we love Channel 31 for. And I spent enough time at myself, so I can say that because I love 31. But, what, what um, is, why, why can't they get their hand, hands, heads around getting good audio? You no, know, it's actually a deliberate stylistic decision. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We meant to do that. You'll, you'll do well at network television, <laughs> yeah, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Richards, thank you very much. We're, uh, we're going to go into to Pork now. Now, if you don't know, Pork is basically the segment where we talk about all the things that we didn't get to cover during the show. Yeah. And given uh, we've chopped out so much stuff, it'll be about half an hour of Pork <laughs> yeah. right after this. Hey, um, when I cast my pod... It's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Now, just quickly, because we did promise it to the listeners, Doctor Who, what's your gripe with Doctor Who? Um, oh, look, I haven't got time. Um, but I, I will... My, look, my general thing, and look, I'll write it up on my blog, because then everyone can you know, get me your, to shut up about it. Your blog, which is at outlandonline.livejournal.com. Because as you pointed out, I have become a 12-year-old girl in the late 80s. Yes. Yes. So, um... Uh, my basic thing is there's been a lot of talk with the new Doctor Who I mean apart from the whole bad storytelling element let's not get to that but um, there's been a lot of talk with the new Doctor Who about a gay agenda you'll see this online the idea that people have accused Russell T Davies of, of having introduced a gay agenda oh, my, with, uh, Captain Jack and, and uh, the, Captain the Jack, spin off into there's been some sort of camp references there's been some sort of minor gay characters and, and, and veiled gay characters Doctor often opens a scene with cock in his mouth <laughs> there is that <laughs> but but my actual gripe with it oddly enough is the other way around that I, I feel the show has become heterosexual in a way that it never was before. Um, we mentioned before one of the places I went with my short film was the world's only gay and lesbian science fiction film festival, which of course takes place in Austin, Texas. And um, it's a mecca. It's it is a mecca. mecca. And I've been shooting this documentary for two years now as a sort of companion to Outland about about gay science fiction fans. One of the things you'll find that. Um, Doctor Who had this thing that he was a loner. He deliberately left his home and family. He creates his own families. He travelled with young, attractive women, but was an asexual character who never sort of forced himself on them. And he never kind of winked at the audience that kind of, hey, you should be having the hots for her. Which, so basically for gay boys watching that growing up, he was this incredibly... Um, you know, the, 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 just the, that character was the only character on television who effectively said to, to young gay, you know, especially children, it's all right. You don't have to be getting it on with the girl. It's quite acceptable just to be her friend and to create your own life and, and to travel and have fun. And, and, the, and the Doctor was uh, a character amongst uh, all these uh, conformist uh, adversaries. Yes, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was. He, he was, was an counter, individual. He was an individual. He was a rebellious figure, as count culture figure. The new series has brought him back as this tragic last of his kind. You know, which is such a hoary old cliche for a start. But he tries to get it on now with all these chicks, and like the the Christmas special in particular. He's basically coming on to Kylie from the very beginning. Which, yeah, that may well be the gay dream, but it's still. <laughs> 
it's quite creepy. I actually find him genuinely it's- sleazy now as a character. And... And, yeah, there's so much kind of boy-on-girl action uh, that this whole heterosexist, you know, angle it's taken, I think, just is a shame because it, it destroys a lot of what had made him so appealing. Well, and, and this is it. You know, I don't think it's necessarily that the, the uh, heterosexualization or the homosexualization of Doctor Who is, it is just the sexualization of Doctor Who. In some ways, Put, I think it's true, yeah. It was, putting, he, putting sex in an arena where it didn't belong and, and didn't need to be. Because in many ways, it was the only place where sex was absent it was actually quite you know certainly towards the end of its run it was probably the only show on television which didn't have an ongoing will they won't they storyline so to bring it in for the new one well you know no one's going to snog Sylvester McCoy it's it's oh bless him I interviewed him he is such a lovely man he um he tried to get Ian McKellen back for us who refused to be interviewed for our documentary (laughs) he just had enough for Ian doing the rounds of the interview room he got to us and went no I'm not (laughs) doing any (laughs) more And stormed out, and so Steve McCoy is going, Ian, you haven't talked to these people. And we thought, oh, we love you. You've gone up now. You're- Patrick Troughton's knocked off the list now. You- you're up to number four. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, so it's just that, that's my particular gripe with, with the new series. The other thing, of course, is the fact that they spend you know, five hours talking about their relationships, ten minutes being chased by a big CGI monster, and then five hours talking about their relationships again, which, you know, if I want character development, I'm not going to watch Doctor Who. That's not what no, I'm after. That's, that's it. You know, I want I want robots, you know, trying to kill people. Yeah, but well thought out reasons why the robots are killing people. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> yes. It's, I always thought that was going to be a problem with the, the new series of Doctor Who when uh, they had gone from the five episode structure. The the five episode storytelling structure to the forty five to the forty five minutes. It effectively has gone from you know nine, the old stories were generally ninety minutes when you add them up. So yeah, you know, feature length story gave you a lot of time, a lot of sort of time yep. to develop ideas. The new one is so fast that I think it actually has lost a lot of what made it good. And I have this weird feeling now it's science fiction made for people who don't like science fiction. So for example, my mother probably quite enjoys it because it's all about a guy and a girl, and yeah, you know, some stuff happens, but it's not really important. And then they stand on the beach crying at each other for, for you know days. Which is what Battlestar, the new series of Battlestar Galactica is as well. I mean, it's, but you don't want to get me started on this, Josh, do you? Because you, you, you're trying to do your pork. You're trying to get your pork this is, out. This is what pork is. This is what pork is. Yes. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, it. good. Because <laughs> I was worried so, that, you know. So the, the, the new series of, of Battlestar Galactica is, and I've been trying to tell Nellie Thomas this. Nellie's been a co-host on, on the show a couple of times. Uh is that she would really like it. She says she doesn't like science fiction. I was, you don't have to like science fiction. It's not about the spaceships and it's not about the, the uh, you know, mitochlorins. Well, uh, Battlestar Galactica, we were saying that the biggest problem it has, of course, is that it's called Battlestar Galactica. So the minute you said anyone, I really like the show and I genuinely think it is the best program on television, which is very hard to say because people think you're a crazy guy who's got the hots for lawn green. And... There is that problem. Yeah, the original is still the only really... I don't think anyone here knows what Battlestar Galactica is. I don't think it really has much of a recognition factor. No, well, it's... Uh, did Channel 10... I think Channel 10 tried to show it on uh, 10 uh, Digital. HD, yeah. I think it was on and, like yeah, 3 a.m. in the morning on alternate uh, years. Days and Sci-Fi Channel started showing it uh, on cable, but then through some ridiculous contractual malarkey could only show it up until when Channel 10 had shown it. Oh, okay. So I thought we were going to get all three series of, of Battlestar Galactica on, uh, mm-hmm. on cable. I was really excited. And they showed the first series and then stopped. But I mean, the thing it does do, and this is the thing which science fiction does at its best, but rarely we see, is, is again, it's a metaphor. It's all a metaphor. And it's 
there are episodes in which you know the um, the war on terrorism sort of plot is effectively it starts off as a very thinly veiled you know war on terrorism george bush you know christian um sort of non-christian kind of yeah plot line getting to at some points where it, it's so thinly veiled that it's like you know oh they're on the planet Buntamino bay <laughs> and yeah uh, there are some episodes in which they obviously desperately throw a robot every in every now and then going oh a uh, robot yeah, science fiction, robot. Okay, let's get back to the waterboarding storyline. You know, and um, and I also love American shows. Generally, the first episode will be the, the fluffy episode of a series. You know, it's the one to welcome you back, and here's the fluffy one. Um, Battlestar Galactica started off, I think, it was series three with a plot line which was: Is suicide bombing sometimes okay? <laughs> And I thought, that's astonishing. And it's only, like, if they weren't science fiction, they would never have been able to make that episode. They would never go to air with this stuff if it wasn't covered in this, you know, science fiction trappings. Because well, and, and that, that's it. It was, uh, it, it went from uh, hating the terrorists to becoming the terrorists against the terrorists. There, there, there were a lot of episodes and- where, like, there's one in which um, uh, Starbuck, the thing too is that the, the gender roles are amazing. There's incredibly powerful women, women in the series. Starbuck is now a woman. There's an episode where she basically spends the episode torturing one of the Cylon prisoners who look human. And you do find by the end of the episode, you're actually on the side of the terrorists. You've come around going, no, 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 hang on. I'm, I'm yeah, this isn't right. This isn't acceptable. Um, rape as a, as a tool of, of, of torture and oppression is used in the series, which is, again, an amazing thing to see on television generally. To see an, an incredibly bleak, incredibly bleak show. Very... Yeah. Uh, that, that is that is based on uh, a, a war that has happened as the result of a difference of religion, and it is yes, because the um, the Cylons, of course, have a single god, whereas our whereas know, the, the heroes have it's a pantheistic religion. And yes, so again, in many ways, the the villains are the, are the Christians, and, and I think there's a really interesting question of, of who are the villains and who are the you know. So yes, but a show that unfortunately, because it's called Battlestar Galactica, everyone will think that you're a twelve year old who um yeah has never met a girl if you try and mention it. Brett, what have you got for mm. pork? Uh, Zach Braff uh, Scrubs is coming back uh, to the ABC. They've got in the in the, uh, the, in the US in, in the US. Uh, got the eighth season there. Zach Braff has announced that it will be his last if it continues on. Um, so it might be the last episode, of, uh, last series of Scrubs. Did you say eighth on a new network? Yes. Eighth series. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of scrubs. That is a lot of scrubs. It, it is a lot of scrubs, and Zach Braff has been wanting to leave for a long time. Uh, I think he's... Uh, really? he's yeah. Uh, it, it's been reported for the last... Uh, well, this would be the third series in a row now that uh, he was considering it being his last series. Uh, and definitely at the at the end of uh, of Series 7, which was the, their last one for the NBC network in, in the States... Uh, it was looking very likely that he wouldn't come back, but obviously uh, they've done some kind of deal. I, I don't. That's think curious because because like the, every almost every show is his narration. He's in a monologue uh, talking about what's going on with it. Yes, and it's and it's so his it's show. To, like the, it's going to have to be quite a, a gear change for the the show itself. I can't imagine that it would that it would continue without him. It's his story. Maybe we'll switch to the janitor. It's it's the story of JD. I'm presuming to American style series. It's probably what twenty. 22 episodes a season? Or yeah. Like that. That's a lot. Uh, I mean, that's yep. a lot of anything, isn't it? I mean, surely at the end of eight series, you go, really, it's just, it's enough. Because I don't mind Scrubs, but I don't want whatever eight times 22 is of it. That's, that's yeah. And of course, because of character development, it's 
just so different to what it was originally. So, so you know, JD's in a relationship and got a kid and mm. all that sort of stuff, whereas it used to be him and Turk and having good times. Yeah. The third series of Heroes has been announced, yes. and it's going to be called Heroes Villains. And uh, they were planning a kind of spin-off side series, not really a spin-off, but a side series uh, Origins. called Origins. Did, and that, did that never happen? It never happened, and it's not going to happen now. Apparently, it's just been been wiped. And the creators of Heroes have uh, said in, in the past, I mean, last season, they said, yeah, we worked out that we were doing the wrong thing. We worked it out too late. And anyone who's seen the second season of Heroes will know that it is pretty shit. So, uh, hopefully, they've learnt their lesson, and with these new villains series, uh, it could be possibly be good i mean you're a fan of, of heroes I, I never actually saw enough of it it was one of those things where i sometimes missed a bit and then um i do find i i'm not a huge huge fan normally of ongoing storyline kind of series yeah. which is why Battlestar Galactica for me is quite unusual but it, it's fine with heroes again i got that feeling uh, almost like when the first series was over that was it was almost enough like, yeah, well, this is... Mm-hmm. You know, like, often the, often these American series, I think people have been trying to get them up for a long time. They've, they've really wanted to make them. So they actually have the storyline, and they come to a really natural end. But, of course, in the US, you can't do that. No series can end after one series. Things like The <laughs> X-Files, which I stopped watching like everyone else halfway through series four. Went to JB Hi-Fi when they were on sale. Thought, oh, what's the last series? So I'm just curious what happened. Presuming that was series seven. Series nine. It went on for like, you know, <laughs> really? two more years beyond what I imagined maybe it did. Yeah, so that thing I think in the US where unfortunately maybe often series one and two are all you really need or even just series one. But they just they just keep going. Which is why I'm so glad that Lost has a, a definite ending. Yeah, speaking of which, JJ J. Abrams got a new show called Fringe coming up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, have you read uh, about it? No, I, I he, have. He's, he's saying it's got to be more uh, accessible and less kind of mysterious. Well, the thing is, uh, Lost isn't really JJ Abrams' show. I mean, he's, he was the producer; he was a showrunner for for a little while. But uh, it's Damon Lindelof and, and Carlton Cuse, and it's it's their baby and it's their concept and it's their storyline. Uh, and I think they've done a, a fantastic job. And if you look at all the other things that JJ Abrams has done, uh, Felicity and uh, and uh, the what's the one with the the girl who's a a, a spy <laughs> Harriet, um, Harriet the spy uh, <laughs> that was so vague what's the one with the girl who's a spy the girl who's a spy a spy you know what alias? I'm talking about yes thank you uh, and and alias and they're they're very simple shows. They're simple concepts, uh, and Lost is not a J.J. Abrams concept. I mean, you can you can see that if you if you look at the patterns. So yes, Fringe is definitely uh, going to be like that. But I've been watching uh, Lost from the beginning now, uh, going to to try to watch it all in the lead up to this next series uh, next February, and uh, so I'm halfway through season one at the moment, and uh, the episode that I just watched the other day. Uh, was the first time I went, ah, oh, that's important. So do you you think Lost is an incredibly, you know, clever, well-thought-out thing, or do you think they're just kind of making it up as they go along? I think it's an incredibly well-thought-out, very clever thing. There are things that I'm seeing in in this first first series that were uh, referenced quite subtly Mm -hmm. in, in the fourth series. And uh, and things that you really need to pay attention to, and do need to go back and rewatch, and uh, and 
look at again. So I, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, another thing I saw this weekend was the latest Futurama straight-to-DVD movie, uh, The Beast with a Billion Backs. Hilarious. See, I... Ooh. Oh, David, did we see the same film? Um, I, 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 I'm. It's funny with with both of these Futurama DVDs. I kind of don't like the the multi story ninety minute thing. It really doesn't work, especially because I can't help thinking they're all really just three or four half hour episodes. The, have you seen Beast with a Billion? I Bones? have. Yeah, I have. Because I thought it wasn't as obvious. No, no, I thought it was much better than than um, I forgot the name of the, the first one. Bender's Big Score. Bender's Big Score. But it was just that thing of, because of, I had also misunderstood with Bender's Big Score, I'd been told it was going to be broken up for television. I thought what that was actually mean was that the, the storylines were somehow unthreaded and put into into you know 25 minute episodes yep. with each of the obvious single storylines. Not just it's the one episode cut into three pieces. And um, I couldn't help thinking even with, with Beast with a Billion Backs, it was better, but I still would rather just get a series of half-hour self-contained Futurama stories, which I think do, they do much better than a 90-minute piece where there really isn't a dramatic progression. There's no reason for it to be 90 minutes, was kind of my... Well, and I think they did a lot better with Beast with a Billion Backs, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the next one. I thought it was really funny. I gave it four stars. More on the uh, <laughs> more on what's happening with the US version of Kath and Kim. Uh, apparently, Horizon Media, which is uh, an industry group uh, responsible for analysing new shows for American TV, has predicted that the program will fall flat with US audiences, which is why the shakeup has come in. Rumoured to include possibly the director, director of photography, the hair and makeup team, and editor. <laughs> Being replaced. Oh, that's oh. that's a lot, really. Um, it's it's, and uh, it's sources grandfather's say, axe. Sources say executives have asked the show be more highly stylized. Think CSI comedy. Oh my god! You know what? They want to decath and Kim it a bit. We've gone on for an hour and a half. Uh, so with with that horrible horrible look at humanity, that brings us to the end <laughs> of Box Cutters episode one hundred and forty one. I want to say thanks to. Uh, Kathy Boxcutter, who told us to watch Spiral on SBS. I've been watching it, and it is a great cop show. Uh, if you can find the first four episodes somewhere, uh, it's def- definitely worth catching up with. When's it up? Uh, I think it's on Thursday nights. Right? Uh, it's on after Inspector Rex on Set, SBS. Uh, during yeah, the, the, the Amazing Race? I don't know. It's, uh, I've got a machine just records it for me automatically <laughs> uh, so Spiral thank you very much Cathy for, for letting us know about that I also want to say thanks to Crumpler our giveaway sponsors no quiz this week obviously but uh, perhaps next week perhaps not anyway Crumpler make excellent bags that you can throw over your shoulder like a regimental soldier you can find them at crumpler.com.au also thanks to 3 R, whose studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week you can Bless find them them on the web at rrr.org.au. They always have been. Every, every single person sitting here got their start at 3RRR. Yep. It's, uh, we love they, them. They, they are very Look special. Look at now. I know. We've <laughs> come so far. Hey, I don't, have a beard. I, I don't have a beard yet. So, you know, There's I've still got time. a ways to go. <laughs> still got a ways to go. rrr.org.au and 102.7 if you're in the Melbourne metropolitan area. Uh, I want to also say that if you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store and write a review or write a review wherever you find your podcasts, uh, Podnova or whatever podcatcher you 
tend to use. If you can write a review, do. It will help other people find this podcast. And, and we also do <laughs> always enjoy reading comments on the blog. Oh, we do love reading comments on the blog. Boxcutters.net is where you can find the blog. And you can email us, hooray, at boxcutters.net. The blog very shortly will be getting a, a an overhaul. So, look forward to that. And more information. Yes. Thanks very much to John Richards, the wonderful John Richards, for joining us. Thank you. It's made my life complete. And your blog was at so where? Oh, good Lord. Who knows? It's only going for a week. Um, (laughs) Outlandonline.livejournal.com, I believe. I will put a link to it on on the blog. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I've been John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there.